Hello and welcome to another episode of A Way to Heal Utah. I'm your host, Dave Meekham. We've got some guests today that you haven't heard from in a while and some that are brand new. We've got Brittany Lee from the Department of Health and Human Services. She's our Diabetes Health Program Specialist with the HEAL Program. And Maria Velasco, the National Diabetes Prevention Program Specialist, also with HEAL. And Sydney Williams joins us today. She is the Health Program Specialist with the Healthy Aging Program. Ladies, thank you for being here today. I'm excited about this. Yeah, we're happy to be here. Thanks, Dave. And the reason we're going to chat today, and it's November, and November is National Diabetes Month. And it's an important thing because this impacts so many people and so many lives. Even if you don't have diabetes, you know somebody who does. So this is just such an important topic because it has such a huge health impact on the folks in Utah. And Brittany, maybe we can just start with you and talk about we all hear there's a couple different kinds of diabetes. There's type one, there's type two, and maybe just talk about what diabetes is really quickly and kind of set the stage here. Sure. Like you said, Dave, lots of things to talk about, lots going on with diabetes month. So I think for us to start, it's important to understand what diabetes is. Diabetes is a type of metabolic disease where our bodies are either not producing insulin or we have what's called insulin resistance. And now we could really get into the weeds with a a physiology and biology lesson here, but we won't. So long story short, we just need to understand that insulin is what helps our body remove glucose from our bloodstream and glucose in our bloodstream is what comes from it's otherwise known as sugar in our bloodstream. So that comes from, from eating food that has carbohydrates and sugar in it, which gets broken down into that glucose once it enters our body. And so there are three main types of diabetes. There's type one diabetes, type two diabetes, and gestational with type one diabetes. That is a situation where our bodies do not produce insulin at all. And that is just, that's related to pancreas function. That's typically a type of diabetes that's diagnosed in younger kids. So a lot of the times you may have heard this type of diabetes called juvenile diabetes. And in this situation, type one, it's usually, it's not preventable. So that's just something based on family history where you're either going to have it or you're not. Type 2 diabetes is what we'll probably talk about most here today because type 2 in a lot of cases is preventable. Type 2 diabetes is where your body is producing insulin. It's just not able to use it properly. And so that's where we have that term I use called insulin resistance. And then the third type is called gestational diabetes. Gestational diabetes is very, very similar to type two diabetes, but it's just specific for pregnant women. So it's when you have diabetes while pregnant. And in both of those cases, type two diabetes and gestational diabetes is referring to having a blood glucose level that's higher than normal over a period of time. Yeah. And there is a lot of misinformation out there Mm -hmm. about diabetes. I remember as a young kid growing up, my grandmother would always call it sugar diabetes. And I still know people who are under the impression that if you eat too much sugar, you're going to get diabetes. And none of that's true. Right. Yeah. And I think something that's important to point out is I mentioned that the glucose in our bloodstream comes from the food that we eat, such as carbohydrates and things that have sugar in them. But that's not to create 
or add to the stigma that you just mentioned where it's like, oh, if I eat candy, I'm going to get diabetes. Or if I have ice cream, I'm going to get diabetes. Or if I eat bread, I'm going to get, that's not how it works. Um, and I think that's a very unfortunate and common misconception. Um, so it's not to, you know, create fear around these types of food, but yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. Right. The good news is that there are things that we can do to better manage and even prevent diabetes sometimes, but let's talk about what are the signs of diabetes and Sydney or Maria, maybe you can jump in and, and address this because it's true that a lot of people may have diabetes and not even know it. I think an important part before we go to the symptoms and all that about diabetes is understanding pre-diabetes, but it's also an issue and will help people to know, okay, those are my symptoms when I have diabetes, but can I prevent that? So pre-diabetes is when your blood sugar is higher than normal. And then um, that will cause like different um, health complications. Some people doesn't know they have pre-diabetes unless they go to a doctor visit. And sometimes um, some doctors might not be able to diagnose it for them. So some of the programs that are available are the ones that help us catch diabetes in the pre-diabetes uh, stage. So that's one of the signs, like having higher blood sugars. And it's super hard to understand, like if you, okay, what are my symptoms of pre-diabetes? Probably they're not symptoms. How am I going to know that I, my blood sugar is high if I don't go to a doctor often? So that's one of the things that we have to remember um, before we kind of like look at diabetes, that pre-diabetes is also an issue. I think Maria brings a really good point as far as symptoms go, because a lot of the times with diabetes and, and pre-diabetes, the symptoms, a lot like hypertension actually too, you don't even know that you have them. A lot of the symptoms of pre-diabetes and diabetes are things that you could experience because it's summertime and it's really hot. So you're really thirsty and I'm really thirsty because it's really hot outside. And so because I'm drinking more water, I need to go to the bathroom more often. So things like extreme thirst and frequent urination, other common signs and symptoms would be like rapid weight loss. If you're not trying, if you experience things like blurry vision or tingling in your, your fingers or your toes, if you notice that you get sores or, you know, scrapes, cuts, bruises that are not healing as quickly as normal, or if you have increased appetite. Some of those things I think would be a little bit more alerting to us. <laughs> you know, we would say, hey, that's not normal. But then there are some of those symptoms that I think they go completely undetected. And so Dave, like you mentioned, there are a lot of people who go completely undiagnosed where I think the numbers are now that we have a little over 180,000 people in the state of Utah that have diagnosed diabetes. And I believe that it's estimated that there are approximately 50 to 60,000 who are undiagnosed. And so that goes to Maria's point of, you know, that pre-diabetes stage and being aware of signs, symptoms, risks. Right. And the fact is a lot of people hearing this podcast, this may be the first time they've ever heard of pre-diabetes. A lot of people don't even know that this is a condition. So is it simply just a, a state where your blood sugars are elevated and you're just kind of on the precipice of getting full-blown type 2 diabetes, or is there more to it than that? So for pre-diabetes, yes. So your blood sugars are like not 
too high to get type 2 diabetes, but just in that range of like being at risk to having. And another thing that we can talk about, like when we talk about signs and symptoms, if you cannot identify the symptoms early and they're not clear to you, what can be helpful is to know if you're at risk. Is my Does my dad have diabetes or is there diabetes history in my family? Am I overweight? Um, am I older than 45 years old? Am I not that active, like physically active? So those are some risk factors that we also can consider, even though we don't have an early diagnosis of prediabetes or diabetes because the symptoms are not clear, you can check the risk uh, factors that can lead you to prediabetes or diabetes. There's a risk test for this. And I believe there's a website, it's doihaveprediabetes.org. And you can go take that risk test. Yeah, and we also have a risk test that allows you to know if you could take our program that is a national diabetes prevention program, the national DPP, and you'll be able to see if you can take a life-changing program that will help you have that help that you need. This is a year-long program that where you will have a life coach that will help you take some classes. Um, all of these topics are either like, what is diabetes? How do I prevent it? What type of, um, not exactly what type of food I eat, but what are the right proportions of food that I should eat? How active I have to be? And like the life coaches are the experts on this. And the most like beautiful about this program is that you have that help. It's not you doing it by yourself. And I know it's a year long and like people are like, oh, this is a long time, but you get the help and the resources. And people that have finished this um, program, they have, they lower the risk of diabetes like 58%. And there is a lot of like evidence-based um, information that shows this. Even after like years of years, um, people that participate in this program still have like that low risk of having diabetes just for doing this like habit change program. Right. So if you find yourself in this situation, there is definitely help available. Sydney, let me ask you this. I think that a lot of people view diabetes as something that happens to old people. And it certainly is probably true that the occurrences for diabetes happen more often in the elderly, but can you help us understand the relationship there and, and how your risk changes as you get older? Absolutely. You know, there are a lot of older adults who do have diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, and it is something you have to be aware of the more you age. A part of the Healthy Aging Program, we support three different classes that you might be interested in participating in as an older adult. We have two self-management education classes. We have Living Well with Diabetes and Living Well with Chronic Conditions. Both of these are workshops that are 15 hours total, about two and a half hours per week for six weeks. No healthcare provider referral is required for the Living Well with Diabetes class. All participants have diabetes, and it's a really great platform to share with others and relate to the experience of living with diabetes. Also, family and those who assist can also attend this class. The class focuses on action planning and problem solving, and there are two trained leaders who lead this class, and at least one of which has diabetes themselves. On the other hand, the Living Wealth Chronic Conditions class is a little more broad. It is a workshop that addresses all chronic conditions, and participants have a variety of chronic conditions, not just diabetes, but those with diabetes often attend. 
similar to the other class, family and those who assist can also attend. And this workshop focuses on action planning, problem solving, and emotional management. So both of these classes are great options for older adults who may be experiencing or living with diabetes. If they're wanting to get more physical, we also offer a physical activity class. We have Walk With Ease. It is a six-week walking program with one-hour classes, three days per week. Anyone is allowed to participate. Once again, no healthcare provider referral is required. And there are three different formats. We have a group format, a self-directed format, and a self-directed enhanced. So you can really choose whatever works best for you and your schedule. Wow. A lot of help available there as well. But I, I think that at one point, just because you're getting older doesn't guarantee that you're doomed to have diabetes. Exactly. There are always things that you can be doing to prevent this issue. And it is something that older people have to be in the lookout for. But of course, we have so many resources available in order to prevent that. So let's kind of just talk in general terms. What and, and I'll throw this question now for anybody on our panel today. What are some of the things that we can do, the lifestyle changes that we can make or choices that we can make to lower our chances and lower our risk? I think um, the first thing will be kind of like not restricting ourselves from like food because that will be, everyone will say, no, like that's like a, an old one. Like I have tried doing diets like the pineapple diet, the whatever diet you are, you have tried before, but just I love pineapple. Like, <laughs> there is one that people just eat pineapple for like a week, and that's like a diet <laughs> that some people have tried. But yeah, like not restricting yourself, but kind of like being moderate of the portions that you eat, like being mindful of okay, how much am I eating during the day? Sometimes counting calories cannot be for everyone. Not everyone wants to be putting the calories in their phone and adding them or seeing the percentage of macros that they need, but just kind of being mindful of how much you are eating. If I used to eat my entire plate of rice, um, I would change it for like half or like less portions and kind of learning your portions and understanding your body. Okay, if I'm full, like kind of like, okay, what type of portions I want to eat? Um, and the other thing will be trying to be active, uh, physically active, um, not just like, okay, I need a gym membership. Where am I going to get that? That's expensive. My gym, it's super far away from my house. We understand all those barriers. So being active is more like, okay, should I walk to, to the store that it's in the uh, street in front of my house or like in the corner street or something like that? Trying to do things that help you be active and that are not hard to achieve. Kind of like putting realistic goals. Okay, today I'm on a bike or I'm on a walk. Not just like thinking that working out, you have to go to a gym, but kind of understanding that you can do simple changes that can help you be more active. I think I those like two things are, are the most. Physical activity is a huge component of this. And the other is your diet. And those are two things that we all have control over. And I like what you had to say there, Maria. It's not just what you eat, but how much you eat. Look at portion size. Brittany, can you help us maybe understand the relationship? Because I think this might be kind of vague for some people, the relationship between how physical activity impacts diabetes. So physical activity helps our bodies utilize insulin more efficiently. So when we kind of circle back to the what I was talking about with insulin resistance, where our body is creating the insulin, but it's not quite doing its job to the best of its ability, 
when we are physically active, our body is able to do that better. Now, that's not an end all be all solution necessarily there. Like you, like Maria was talking about, it's, you know, our nutrition also plays a big factor, but I just want to point out too, that physical activity is not just great for our body's ability to utilize insulin. When we're looking at diabetes, there can be a lot of other complicating risk factors, a lot of other things that can happen, unfortunately, if if we're not paying close attention. And so physical activity, it's good for heart health. It's good for our lungs. It's good for our muscles. It's good for our bones. And so just really big picture when we're looking at longevity and, and our quality of life and all the things that we want to be able to experience with or without diabetes, how active we are throughout our day is a huge piece of that. And especially if we're living with diabetes or pre-diabetes, it's going to just be a really big part of our big picture long-term success. It's amazing just this massive impact, like you said, that physical activity can have in so many different health aspects with us, even COVID. If you have COVID and you're physically active, the severity and your recovery are likely to be much better. I mean, it's amazing how many things that physical activity can do for us. And even, you know, mental health, I left that out, but I, you know, mental health, I think for so many people is, is an even bigger part of what physical activity can do, especially if you have been newly diagnosed with diabetes or prediabetes or a family member. That's a lot. It's a lot to take on your shoulders. There's a lot to learn. It can, for some people, having a diabetes diagnosis or prediabetes can really flip your world upside down as far as your lifestyle and how your family dynamics look and your day-to-day, you know, your schedules and having to now take supplies with you when you leave your house and having to pay closer attention to all the little things that you're consuming and how sleep affects your blood glucose. And it really can just be a total 180 and it's a big learning curve. And so I think that mental health piece of it coming from physical activity is really big. And then like Maria and Sydney both mentioned with some of our programs and some of the resources available, having that support system to cope with a new diagnosis, it's huge. It's a game changer. Also about physical activity, your stress levels, your mental health, when you have higher stress levels, your blood sugar can be higher. So everything is a cycle. If I work out or if I try to be active, I can lower my blood sugar, but also lower my stress. So it's like everything, it's like a lifestyle cycle. That's how I see it. Um, And I think it's super helpful to understand the importance of how this affects all of it, like the mental health, the stress, my blood sugar, and even like, like you said before, like preventing diabetes. Yeah, it's a big picture kind of thing. It's not just one thing. It's it's a mix and doing all of these things together that can help you better manage or even reverse and prevent it in the first place. And I think the one thing that we haven't talked about that we is important that we mention here, the other component of prevention is our regular visits to our care providers. That's critical for some people. That's the only way they're going to know that they've got prediabetes or diabetes is a visit to the doctor. Yeah, I think, as I mentioned before, visiting your provider 
probably like I think the recommended times are like once a year minimum if you don't have like a chronic condition if you don't have to go um but also you know that's why we have resources like for people that doesn't have that resource of like okay I can go to a provider every year or I don't have insurance etc there are some resources like classes or things that would allow you to understand okay I don't know I have diabetes but at least I'm trying to prevent it because I don't want to have it because we understand the barriers of like some people not having those resources but also we encourage people that have them to go to the providers and talk to them about if they are seeing like any symptoms or if the provider sees that a person has a lot of risk factors, they will be able to help them. Right. And I think it's important to start with that risk test. You'll be surprised the things that might influence your risk level. It's not just how active am I? Things like ethnic groups. Some ethnic groups are more at risk than others. Yeah, that's correct. Some ethnic groups are at higher risk, an important part here is that they know, like, okay, do they do these groups know that they're at risk? So health education is also an important part in this case, like giving like uh, social media campaigns that will help people to read, okay, my ethnic group is at risk, like I should take steps on this, or like I should try to like, if I go to my provider, I should talk to my provider about this. So I think it's important, like the health education is also an important part. Right. So a great place to start is to assess your risk level. And you can do that on doihaveprediabetes.org. And then you can take that information to your care provider and get a physical. And the great news is that there are so many programs, so much help available to everybody who might be in this situation. And Maria and Sydney, you have both mentioned a lot of options. And we will put some links in the show notes to help folks make those connections. It's National Diabetes Month. Let's do everything we can to help ourselves. Even if we're not at risk, we know somebody who is, and we can help them. Yeah, absolutely. Diabetes can for sure be a family matter and a community matter. And so I think you hit the nail on the head, Dave. There are a lot of resources, a lot of really great support systems, a lot of really great people who are very educated and can provide that support and those skills to be able to self-manage and really just thrive with living with diabetes. Ladies, thanks for being here. This has been a lot of fun and learned a lot. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Way to Heal Utah, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.